morning. It's good to see you. Um, part of the reason that Darren was leading for us this morning is that Keith had eye surgery this past week. And some of you may know that, some of you may not. Keith had several things going on lately, and so I want to, just in a second here, for us to take some time to pray together for him. You know that he's campus pastor for us, and he's got a lot of plates that he's spinning right now, a lot of things that he's juggling, um, and, and a lot of pressure and stress from some of those decisions. And then he's been having trouble with one of his eyes, some pain and pressure and loss of vision. They finally did surgery on Thursday. But then also this past week, um, he has a half-brother in Texas who passed away unexpectedly, and he wasn't able to make the trip down there because of the eye surgery. And so he was hoping that he would feel well enough to be here this morning, but he's still having some pain and some discomfort. He goes back Tuesday for a follow-up. So he's just got a lot of things going on. And so I'd like us to take a minute here in just a second and pray together uh, for Keith as one of our pastors, one of our elders, and one of our friends, and then we are wrapping up the book of Acts today. I know we covered the last chapter last week, but I wanted us to take a week to say, hey, the, the past six months or so that we've spent in this book asking who God is, what he wants to teach us about the church, um, about us, how Jesus builds his church, what are some of the biggest things that God has shown you, and maybe it's just themes that he's repeated over and over and over and over that really stood out, and he's hammered them to you, and I just wanted to have a week where we could say, these are the things that God's showing us. Like As we step out of studying the book of Acts each Sunday morning, I don't want us to step out of the things that God's teaching us from the book of Acts. I hope that we're different, that we really have encountered God and his word, and he's saying things to us and working in our hearts and changing who we are as his people and his church, Um, and so Whatever that you have to share, I didn't walk up here with this huge plan. I, I know in your, in your bullets, and I put the very first verses, and then like the longest ellipses in the history of the world, because we went from chapter 1 to the very end of chapter 28, and I put the very last verses, the book in. It did cross my mind, I'll be honest with you, it crossed my mind to stand up here and read all 28 chapters. Um, and you know that I really might do that at this point, <laughs> but we're not doing that. We're going to do the very first few verses, the very last few verses, but then anything out of the whole book that stands out to you, and, and we, I may flip to a few places that aren't on the screen or something today, so if you want to keep your phone or your, your Bible handy and we can turn to those spots and look at them together. But I'm telling you that because during this time of prayer, I'm just going to ask God to bring to our minds that, that the Spirit would remind us of the things that He's shown us and re-emphasize today the things that he wants us to see and hear the most. And so if you'll join me in praying right now, let's pray for Keith, and then let's pray for this time of, of study together that God will speak to us and keep showing us who he is, and we'll jump into Acts. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now, um, and we thank you, I thank you, for Keith and for his friendship Uh, for the ways that you use him and that he serves in your church and just the relationship that we have with him and how we care for him. And I pray for him, Father, in terms of his role and position here that you've called him to, um, the, I understand the burdens and the, the pressures and the stress that can come from that. And I pray that you will fill him with your spirit, that you will give him a peace that passes understanding, that he will be very aware of your presence, and that you will give him everything that he needs as he serves in a role of leading your church. Um, 
that you will lead him as he leads us. And I pray that he can rest in you and have peace and joy and hope in you and your promises and, and the work of your spirit to always accomplish the things that you promise. And then, Father, I pray just as things have piled on and I, and I see the, the weight of the attacks on a fellow follower of Jesus that we care about, I pray for his eye, Father, that, that you would heal him quickly. I pray that he would get really, really good news on Tuesday. Um, I pray that the pain and the pressure will go away. I pray that the, the use and function of the eye would be restored and that you would grant him sight <laughs> physically. And that in that, spiritually, that you would help him to see you more and, and to see your hand and your power and your goodness. I pray for Keith and his family and the loss of his half-brother. I pray that you will comfort them during this time of grief. I pray that they will see you and know you more, that their hope will be in you. I thank you that we do have the hope that even when things are hard and difficult and dark and there's grief and there's loss and there's pain, that you are always with us, that you see and you know and you are here and that you are still working and that you still care for us. And so I just pray for Keith for lots of reminders that you would speak and whisper in a hundred different ways to his heart in his life through us, through his church, his friends, his fellow followers of Jesus, through your word, through your spirit speaking to his heart, through circumstances in his life that you just remind him that you love him, that you care for him, that you know where he is, that you are taking care of him. And I pray that you will lift his spirit and his head and his strength during this time. And then we come to you right now, Father, and I thank you for our time in the book of Acts. Thank you that every single week you have answered our prayer. And you have spoken to us by your spirit from your word. You have taught us things about yourself. You have revealed yourself to us. You have let us know you more. And so right now, Father, I pray that the spirit will do exactly what Jesus said that he would do, that he would remind us of all truth, remind us of the things that you've taught us and the things that you want us to hear again today or see more clearly or, or remember more deeply or, or believe with more conviction. Father, will you, will you bring those back up today and will you, will you show us what everything that you've said to us about yourself, what you want to do with those truths in our hearts and in your church and will you continue to lead us in that way? And so please, Father, right now, Teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word and do a spiritual work in us so that we will see you and know you and love you and be built up as your church for your purposes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So starting here in Acts chapter 1, here's the first eight verses. I just thought it was really good to see. This is where Luke started when he was writing. And he tells us right off the bat, this is where this book is going. And then to see, here's where it ends when he finishes in Acts 28. So Acts 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then skip into the very, very end, the last two verses of the book. Paul lived in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right. It can come out of those verses or anywhere in the whole book. Um, What are the biggest truths or just the things that you feel like are worth mentioning again that we've seen in Acts? Truths about God, truths about us, uh, the things that God's saying to us about his church and his work in the world. What stands out to you? Yeah, God will accomplish his plan in ways that look absolutely crazy to us. I think you probably heard Adam, but if you didn't, I'll try to repeat a little bit, especially if you're watching online. He said the thing that stood out you know, for the whole book was how chaotic it looks from a human perspective. And you're tempting me right now. I'm not going to do this because I want you all to have time to share first. But like, I really want to walk through, and I, I'm hoping I'm going to do this here in a little while, like at the end. But walk through the whole book and just recap in our minds, like, this is the stuff that went on, like chapter by This is what it looked like, and that is how God builds his church. Like That's how God takes a church that does not exist. There's 120 people hiding and praying together in a room in Jerusalem, and he explodes a worldwide movement that exists to this day. You know, but, but yeah, like, that it looked totally chaotic from a human perspective, but that God was using all of that to accomplish his purposes, that, that it wasn't out of control for him. And in fact, that, that those ingredients that look so chaotic and look like there's no way that this could bring about what it needs to bring about. Those were the very ingredients that God was using to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And the the end result is when he does it that way, we know he's done it. Like you won't look at this book and think, 
Well, they were really smart. They had a good plan. Oh, they, had, they were really fortunate. Things went the way, you know, like it, it was really dicey there for a minute and it just fell the right way for them. Nothing goes the right way for them and nothing stops God the whole book. And so then, yeah, to, to bring that to a truth about God and say, God will accomplish his plan. First of all, that's a great truth just in and of itself. God will accomplish his plan. He is doing it. It is happening. And then in ways that look absolutely crazy to us, that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And he's not frustrated by the things that frustrate us. He's not limited by the things that limit us. He's not hindered by the things that hinder us. That's why, you know, in English here, in the ESV, it ends with without hindrance. is the very last thing that Luke says in the whole book. It's one word, and it's just unhindered. Like, that... The last word, you want the last word, this is the story, the book about Jesus building his church. And the last word is unhindered. <laughs> Jesus is unhindered. His work is unhindered. His gospel is unhindered. His church is unhindered. And then the whole book has been hindrance, hindrance, hindrance. It looks like, humanly speaking, right? And it's like every hindrance that the world can throw at it. Spiritually, like opposition from the outside, persecution from the outside, prison from the outside, murder from the outside, religious opposition, political opposition, corruption from the inside, infighting within, divisions within. Like every hindrance you could imagine is in this book, and he's unhindered. God will accomplish his plans in ways that look absolutely crazy to us. And hopefully we step back then and we're like, that's God. God did that. He wouldn't have worked otherwise. None of us would have come up with this. This is, not, this is not the plan we would have come up with. And none of us could have pulled this off. We're not this smart and we're not this good. <laughs> and he is. Good first one. Really good first one. What else? What else has stood out to you? And that is, that's a great summary of the whole book. Yeah, that she said it was able to happen because of the work of the Holy Spirit now in man on earth, building and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And you see right here that in the intro, Jesus says this is the most important thing. While staying with them, this is verse 4, he ordered them, don't depart from Jerusalem. Not to depart from Jerusalem. So there's nothing for you to do except stay and wait. Until you get the thing that the Father has promised, the promise of the Father, which is you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the promise of the Father, let's just put them all three together here. God the Father promises and God the Son Reminds them to wait, God the Son, to wait for God the Spirit to accomplish God's purposes. And then in verse 8, you know, it's kind of the summary verse of the whole book. Jesus says it this way. Because when the Father and Son, when the Son ascends to the Father in heaven, the Father and Son are going to send the Spirit. 
And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So power from the Spirit. There's the promise he makes. Jesus makes this promise. The Father is going to send the Spirit. He's going to give you power. And for a very specific purpose, you'll be my witnesses. And then this is concentric circles, basically, starting where they are, spreading outward to the whole world. You know, you'll be my witness to the end of the earth. And so that Jesus makes a promise. Can you read that? Hopefully. To give his people power for the purpose of making him known. And just notice, like, it's his purpose. He's the one, like, and I mean his purpose, like, it's about him. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to talk about me. He will be their message. The point of the power is to make Jesus known. The point of the power is not to make you great. The point of the power is not so that you can do whatever you want spiritually. The point of the power is to make Jesus known. So he's the purpose, and it's also like his purpose that it's about him, but his purpose that he's the one who gives it. He's the one who's saying, this is why you exist as a church. This is why you'll be my people. This is your purpose. And I know you've heard me say this before, and I ripped this off from Michael like five or six years ago. He, just, he almost said it offhand one Sunday morning. I was like, that may be my favorite thing I've ever heard. And so I've, I've stole it, and it's mine now. Like, it's, my, it's not his anymore. I'm claiming it. But you know, we, all this stuff today, mission, vision, purpose, all the ways that you build and lead any kind of organization but a church, and, and one morning he said, we, our church does not have a vision. God's vision includes our church. And I think it's such a significant shift to go from, hey, we're at the center and we're the origin and we've come and we've, we're, we're self-defined and we've said, here's our vision for what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. That's not the book of Acts. Verse saying, no, God is the center and God is the origin, and God is the source, and God is the authority, and God has already, he has a vision for the whole world and all of creation and all of reality. He's laid it out for us from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, and included in his vision is this grand purpose and plan for the church to be hugely instrumental in what he accomplishes in the world. That his vision includes the church. And so his vision should define for us who we should be. That, that if we are who we should be, we will fit in his vision the way that he says but that he sets the vision for us. And it's our job to understand what that is and, and really to come and just say, keep laying my heart bare before you and expose in me, expose in us the ways that what we think and what we do, what we've inherited, what we assume, what's been just culturally defined for us, all the ways that we don't line up with what you've revealed. And it's so natural for us to keep drifting off course and drifting off course and to drift off course so slowly and so subtly that we don't even realize we're drifting off course that we have to keep coming back and you've got to keep reminding us. And in a sense, it almost it feels like, well, surely we know by now what he said. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think we do. We can say this is what he said, but we don't do it. <laughs> and so we just need to say, I'm, like, I'm, I'm naturally bent I'm not naturally straight. 
And I need you to keep straightening me out by your grace, by your spirit, by your power, by your word. Just keep pulling me back every time I drift off course. Keep pulling me back. And that's why. Week after week, we need to be here together saying, God, speak to us, show us, open our eyes, show us who you are, remind us who you are. And then every day in your life individually and then with other believers and small groups that you need to be in the Word saying, speak to me today, show me, pull me back. Because listen, by, by lunchtime today, you and I are going to drift a little bit. And if you wait till next Sunday, <laughs> you're a week gone. <laughs> and it's not that he won't come get you, and it's not that he won't pull you back. But he's got things to do this afternoon in your life through you as his church. His church isn't here in this building. His church inside his spirit lives in you, in me, in us. And he has things to do in his world today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And you'll miss all that if you're waiting until next Sunday morning when we get back together here. Like this isn't the temple in the Old Testament. And the Shekinah glory of God doesn't just dwell in the Holy of Holies anymore. Jesus ripped that curtain open and he sent his spirit to be with his people wherever they are. This is revolutionary in the story of history, in the story of the Bible. This shift from, hey, come to a place and specifically once a year one person can enter into the presence of God. The high priest and the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. That was it in the Old Testament. And it shifts to, no, I'm giving my spirit to you. I'll be with you, in you, all the time. And I want you to go. I don't want you to come to one place anymore. I want you to go to all the places. (laughs) Ends of the earth. Me with you, me in you. And so this, this is the purpose that Jesus gives his church. This is who we're to be. This is what we're to be about. And he's the one that decides. It's his church. And it's not yours and it's not mine. I didn't create it. You didn't create it. I didn't think it up. You didn't think it up. And I certainly didn't buy it with my own blood, and you didn't either. And it's his, because he made it, and it's his because he bought it. And he gets to say this is what it should be, and this is what he said. So it's his purpose. And then he says, I'll make a promise to you. When I've called you to this purpose, when I've told you this is who you're supposed to be, I I will promise that I will give you the power that you need for that purpose. Jesus does not look at you the way that most kings on earth would or most leaders in general on earth would. He does not look at you and say, hey, here's what I want to get accomplished. You're my servants. You're my lackeys. You're my people. Go do it for me. That's not what he says. It's not, I'm the king. You go do something for me. Jesus says, I'm the king, yes, and I have a a purpose to accomplish, and I'm the only one who can accomplish it. (laughs) And I'm going to do it through you. And when I call you to do this, I know that you don't have what you need. It's why I died for you. I I know who you are. I know what I'm working with. I'm not coming into this blind. I'm not deceived about how sinful you are, about how weak you are, about how incapable you are, how imperfect you are. I know who you are. I know what you need. And I died and I came back to life to give it to you. And so, yeah, there's a purpose for the church to accomplish, but only Jesus can accomplish it. And Jesus promises to give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. He gives to you what he demands from you. He gives to you what he asks from you. The whole of Christianity, the whole of the gospel is him giving to you, not you giving to him. 
Like everything that you offer back to him is what he's already given to you. In Acts 17, when Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being, right? you, uh, you exist because he gave existence to you. So try to step outside of what God has given to you and offer him something. You don't exist anymore. <laughs> you exist because he gave existence to you. You have a being because he gave that being to you. You have life because he gave that life to you. Everything you offer back to him is what he's already given to you. But he does want you to offer stuff back to him. And then you get to make a choice. Will I give him his stuff, which is really good stuff? Or will I give him my stuff, <laughs> which is not really good stuff? Like we can polish it up and make it look good to each other, but he sees what it really is. And it has no spiritual power and it will accomplish no spiritual purposes. He offers all the grace and spiritual power in the universe. And his God, the Spirit, is God. The, the infinite nature and character of God contained in the Spirit. And don't even ask me the unfathomable mystery of it all, that he will come and live in you and give you himself for his purpose, to make him known. And so it may be when we feel like, I don't see this playing out in my life. I don't see this power playing out. In my... What well, are you living for this purpose? He doesn't promise you this power for your purposes. He doesn't promise you this power for worldly purposes. He doesn't promise you this power for any other purpose in all reality except to make Jesus known. The glory of God in the Father sending the Son and the Son coming and dying for your sins and being raised to life and then creating a people made by His grace, indwelt by His Spirit to be His church. Like, that's the purpose. And every moment that you are giving your life to that and living that out, He promises this power for whatever you need. And so, if you are doing something that you don't have the power for it, like from God, not within yourself, maybe it's because you're doing something that He's not calling you to do. And if he calls you to do it and you feel like you don't have the power, that's okay. You believe his promise. And you go and do it. And you trust. It looks chaotic. It looks crazy. It doesn't look like anything's working out. There's hindrances everywhere I look. Not for him, there's not. You trust him and you do what he's called you to do. And you believe that his spirit is producing spiritual results and spiritual realms that we can't measure, that we can't see, that go beyond everything we would ever dream. Like, just simple little illustration. One of our girls went to children's church this morning. One stayed in here with us. Um, you know, there's moments, and I'm, I'm telling you this about them, but I hope you hear yourself and then hear me. Like, it's me. It's God the Father saying, Son, this is you, when I see this in my kids. There's moments with them that we do our Bible story at night or we have, you know, whatever conversation during the day, and I'm like, I nailed that. Like, I... I, I like I just I pulled open their chest. Here's your little selfish, sinful heart. I exposed to you your own sin. I told you how the gospel speaks to that. And I told you what it looks like for you to love each other because of the way that Jesus loves you and because Jesus lives in you and produces his love in you. All of it. And then 32 seconds later, right? It's like, there's no change. They're as selfish and as sinful and as wretched as they've ever been. And they're on my last nerve and I'm impatient and I'm frustrated and I'm as selfish and sinful as I've ever been. And you would look at it and you would think, this doesn't work. But we're not in it for short-term results. 
Like this, is, this is the longest play in the history of the world. It doesn't just encompass all of world history. It stretches into all of eternity. And from all eternity past, the Father, Son, and Spirit have known that this was going to be their purpose for their glory. But he's saying, you believe me. Believe that speaking the gospel to your kids' hearts over and over and over, even when you don't see the change yet, when you don't see the fruit yet, when you don't see the results yet, you keep believing. You don't trust the results, trust God. Don't trust what you can see. Trust the work of the Spirit. Don't trust, hey, microwave, instantaneous, Googled it, got my answer right then. Like that, that, I know that's the world we live in. But this is a God who's not bound by time, and he has plans that are going to stretch into all eternity. And so we don't come and we just say, okay, yeah, I can see that it's working, so I believe that it's working. No, you said it will work, and I believe you. I believe you. If I don't see it, I believe you. When I do see it, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for showing me that you're doing. Thank you that right now you give us these, these glimpses and these glimmers and these, these just like this foretaste now of what's coming in fullness later. Enough to encourage us and, and keep moving us along. And we're, we're going to believe you. That you've made a promise and you keep your promises. That you have a purpose and you always accomplish your purposes. And that promise and that purpose so that you give your power to your people to bring it about. What else stands out to you? A couple of things that stood out to me really strong were that most people, most of the time, prefer their delusion of comfort to the truth. Like you see that a lot in the, the religious leaders who are actively acting against Jesus and his followers. And piggybacking right onto that, um, the, the attitude, the mindset of the religious leaders at that time. You had gave an analogy a couple weeks ago about uh, some dolphins and not trying to do it your own way and ending up somewhere that God's not. And I saw that throughout the book quite a lot. Yeah. Chris said, most people... Most of the time, prefer, did you say the delusion of their own comfort? Yep. The delusion of their own comfort to the truth. And really, he's being kind and gracious in a way that makes him inaccurate when he says it that way. All of us, all the time, left to our natural selves, prefer the delusion of our own comfort and deception to the truth. Like apart from a spiritual work of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes, softening our hearts, like actually giving us soft hearts that say, I want the truth. Instead, We choose us. We choose our way. And, and we reject the truth, but we do. Like the book of Acts does give us all these pictures of lots of different people in, in lots of different areas, lots of different stories where they encounter the truth and they reject it because they'd rather stay where they are. They'd rather do what they do. That 
that their confidence is in themselves, their focus is on themselves, um, their purposes are for themselves. Like the goal of everything they're doing is to justify themselves, make themselves feel good, advance themselves, promote themselves, protect themselves. And, and so the deal is when we all live there in that, that self-centered place where I start with me and the main filter of my life, how does that affect me? How's this about me? And we all, that is the core of sin. Like what happened in the garden is that Adam and Eve turned away from God to themselves. And you know, the temptation itself is you can be like God. You won't need God anymore. <laughs> you can be that for yourself. You don't, you don't need him to tell you what's right and wrong. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil yourself, independent of him. And we've all, like we all strike out now to be independent of God. Let me be me. Let me have my own. Like I wake up today and I think this is my day with my time. And if you interrupt it, I'm going to be annoyed. Or this is my week and my time. And I'm going to give you a little bit of it today. Look what a good boy or good girl I am. <laughs> In him you live and move and have your being. C.S. Lewis says that it's, it's like a dad whose kid comes to him and says, and he says six pence because it's Britain, but we'll do dollars. Dad, can I have six dollars to, to buy your birthday present for you? And the dad gladly gives him the six dollars, and the kid goes and buys the birthday present and brings it back to his dad. He says, only a fool would think that the dad's better off in that exchange. Right? Now, he's pleased that the son wants to give him something, that he buys the birthday present, all that sort of stuff, but the son doesn't give him anything that's not already his. That's us with God. He has everything. We have nothing outside of him. No, we do have things because he gives them to us. And ultimately, in Jesus, we have everything in him because he gives it to us. And so there's things that we can offer to him, but those are his things. And so all these people who have turned in on themselves and live for themselves and think about themselves and filter everything through, how does this affect me? That so long as we are trapped in that just tiny shell of ourselves, we can't think see anything outside of us. And listen, God's bigger than us. Like if all you can see is you, you can't see him. And if, and if you're looking down focused on you, you can't see him because he's above you. Bigger than you, better than you, greater than you, beyond you. And so he has to rescue us. He has to open our eyes. He has to lift up our head. He has to shatter this delusion and call us out of it. And again, that's why we're so desperately dependent on him speaking to us from his word. And why we want to come in prayer and we want to confess, this is who I am naturally, this is what I do. I'll stay where I am and I'll prefer it to your truth. I'll, pre I'll prefer myself to you as ludicrous as it is. I do and I live that way so much of the time. And I need your grace and I need your spirit. I need you to change me. Make me not natural. That's, that's what is natural to me. Make me not natural. Do a supernatural work, a spiritual work. Make me a spiritual creation of you because your spirit now lives in me. Like in me, it's not in, I need you to give something to me that is outside of me. Put it in me so I'm different now. That's why I need your spirit. That's why this gospel is the only hope and the only answer there is. You said something else. Do we cover it there or do Right, yeah. 
And that's really closely connected to that idea of this is our vision and our purpose and our mission and, and here's our strategy and our tactics, how we're going to carry it out and bring it about and this is what's going to get us there. But the, the problem is when you're so turned in on yourself that even your own religion is what you do in your own strength to justify yourself and prove yourself, that then you get to this place where you think that, that what you have defined as right and good and your purpose, all that stuff, is what God wants. <laughs> that, that instead of God coming and defining that for you, you define that for him, but once you define that for him, you say that it's God. Like, I don't know how many times in my life that I've heard people take a statement that we would reject as untrue and their way of getting what they want is they say, God said. God told me. No, he didn't. You said that, you wanted that, so you put those words in his mouth because you think that I'll have to listen to him when I wouldn't have to listen to you. You know how much of the time we do that? Oh, we're doing this for God. No, you're not. You want to do something for God, do what he said. <laughs> he told you what he wants. And he told you you can't do it. <laughs> his spirit can, and he will give you his spirit for that purpose. But so, yeah, so the religious leaders, we see it, that they're so set in their ways that these things, it's Paul, when he's still Saul, and he's killing Christians, trying to stop the church. Like, he's directly opposed to the work of God in the world, and in that moment, he thinks he's doing what God wants him to do. He thinks he's working for God. He's accomplishing this for God. He's protecting God's religion. And that's how blind and how delusional we can be when we turn in on ourselves. Because if God is the center of all reality, and all of us are supposed to orbit around him, like he holds us in place and he defines our place, and we remove him and we put ourselves at the center, do you realize how far off center you are now? You know, it's, like, it's not like taking the sun out of the center of the solar system and making earth the center. It is not like that because you're not the earth and I'm not the earth. And it's not making the moon. It's like go out there and find some little speck of space dust out by Pluto somewhere. And you make that thing the center of the solar system. That's what we do when we make us the center. And do you know how far off all your measurements and all your calculations and your view of the whole solar system is going to be if you think that that's the center of the whole thing? And that's how you get so far off that you can kill Christians and claim it's the work of God and be fully convinced. Like if you don't start with God at the center, you'll miss every, you will miss everything. It's why we have to come back every week together and every day in our own lives and say, teach me who you are. What does this teach us about God? That is the starting place. Who is he? Who he is is the, the defining thing for everything else. Like it has to flow out of that. If it's disconnected from who he is, you're going to go hurtling off into space somewhere. What else? A couple more. When Jesus lives in us, we will live like him, like Jesus. 
He will be producing who he is in us. Like he's alive in you now. And yes, there's going to be this war because your flesh is still in you. Like the, the self, the sinful self apart from, but now the spirit of Christ is also in you. And the moments that you live by faith and reliance on him, he'll produce in you who he is. And the moments that you live by faith and reliance in yourself, you'll produce who you are apart from him. But that is a really great summary of when Jesus lives in us, we will live like Jesus. And three great characteristics that we see in the book of Acts, and and yeah, Paul and Stephen are both a great place to see them. Humility, boldness, Forgiveness. Because this is what Jesus looks like. Jesus doesn't defend himself, even when he's right and everybody else is wrong. He doesn't advance himself, promote himself, that everything he does is for the glory of the Father and not for himself. Everything he does is for the good of others and not for himself. He pours out himself in love towards others. And, And humility, by the way, sometimes we get confused here and we think that pride or arrogance is a really high view of ourselves so humility must be a really low view of ourselves that's not humility because if you have a high view of yourself the problem is you're thinking about yourself so you're at the center of your thoughts right god should be the center when you have a high view of yourself you're the center of your thought you know what happens if you have a really low view of yourself you're still thinking about yourself (laughs) a low view of yourself is still (laughs) self-centered you need to forget yourself because you think so much about him Like your eyes are turned to him in such a way and you're looking to him that you're focused on. So this isn't like, hey, you should have a really low view of yourself and low self-esteem. You don't need low self-esteem. You don't need high self-esteem. The answer to low self-esteem is not high self-esteem. The answer to low self-esteem is to die to yourself and have Christ-esteem, like high Jesus-esteem. You're valuable because of him, because of what he's done for you, because of how he values you, because of how he defines you, and because he now lives in you. You're infinitely more valuable than you could ever imagine. I've thought about this like five times, so I'm going to try to find it. It's on my phone, so it's going to take me just a second. There's a quote from Tim Keller. A few weeks ago, somebody said, I feel like I hear this every week somehow during the service, and I just never have said it directly. But I love this quote so much. Give me just a second to dig it up on my phone. I took a picture of it a while back. And it's a summary of Acts. It's a summary of the gospel. It's what we're saying right here. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Like you want the gospel to humble you. Here's the first part. However bad as you think you are, you're worse. If you could see your heart the way that God can see your heart, if you were honest, not just about the things that you do and the things that people see on the outside, but who you are and the depths of who you are, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You're worse. You're worse than you've ever admitted. You're worse than you've ever had to face. And he loves you more than you could ever do. Like you, you take the, the wrong thought that we often have and think, if I could do everything right, if I really was so good and so perfect and I really pleased him, I did what he wanted, he, I, I, he would love me. You take how much you think he would love you if you did what he wanted. You haven't done what he wants, and he loves you more than you think. 
Like whatever the amount is that you think, I would earn this much approval and love from him if I just pleased him. You haven't pleased him, and you have more approval and love from him than you think you would get if you did please him. Like he's gone farther, and he's given more, and he values you more, and he loves you more, and it's not because of you. It's not because of what you've done. And so the, the gospel simultaneously, and this is why, these two things to us, they almost seem like a contradiction. How can you be really, really humble and then stand up and be so bold that you look at people and you're like, your blood be on your own heads. <laughs> right? And that you've got an entire religion that you were raised in. This is Paul, an entire religion that you were raised in, you gave your life to, and all the most prominent leaders in that religion are like, you're wrong, Paul. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> This is true, and the whole world can tell me it's wrong, and all the most important religious leaders in the world can tell me it's wrong, and I won't be shaken at all. Like, you would think, that's arrogant, (laughs) right? It's not, though, because it's not because of Paul. It's not Paul's message. It's Jesus' message. Paul doesn't believe this because Paul figured it out. Paul believes this because Jesus showed up in a massively supernatural act of grace and changed Paul's heart and opened Paul's, like blinded Paul in order to open Paul's eyes. And now, in Paul's humility, it's not about him, and it's not about these people approving of him. And it doesn't matter if everybody disagrees with him, because it's not about him. But in his humility, he's died to himself. He's not thinking about himself, and now he's free to be bold. And because he knows. He knows how wretched he was. Far more sinful and flawed than any of us want to admit. And that, that's humbling for us when you see yourself in that. And then more loved and approved and accepted than you ever dared to dream, that makes you bold. He's got you and he's not letting go. He loves you and is not changing. He accepts you and is done forever. You didn't get him to accept you. So you won't get him to stop. You didn't get him to love you. You won't get him to stop. It was in him, towards you, because of him, and who he is isn't changing. So we're bold. And then the forgiveness that flows out of us is we know that the only way that we got from more flawed and sinful than I could ever imagine to more loved and accepted than I could ever dream is because he forgave us. He, didn't, he had every right to hold it over our head, and he said, I won't hold it over your head. There is a price to be paid. I'll pay it instead. I'll absorb it for you, and you're free. And when he lives in us, that starts to grow in us, and we look at other people like, I've got every right to hold this over your head. You really did hurt me. You really did do something wrong. I really know that like, what you've done is wrong, and you're not even admitting it, but I'm not going to hold this over your head. There's a price to be paid relationally. Either you will pay it or I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Because Jesus already paid it all for me. He's given me all of it. And out of his infinite resources, I can pay it. If it was coming from me, I couldn't pay it. It's too much. I don't have that kind of love. I could not pay this. But when it comes from him and he lives in me, I can pay this. And that's what it looks like when his forgiveness starts to produce forgiveness in us. When his grace starts to produce grace in us. When his love starts to produce love in us. And uh, along these same lines, um, I'd written down a note uh, by the way, the illustration that Chris talked about was we were at the beach a few weeks ago with the girls. It was back in March. And we were riding jet skis, just in case you weren't here that day. And we saw these dolphins that were swimming around us. And we would get beside them, and they'd be swimming in this direction, and they'd go under. And, you know, based on where they were going, it looked like, okay, they're going to come up down here, like 30 more feet down. And so we'd ride jet skis down. Well, then they'd pop up over here somewhere. Like, not at all where we thought they were going to be. 
And then we noticed that these birds were circling and diving, and wherever the birds would dive, that's where the fish were, and that's where the dolphins would come up like two seconds later. And so if we went where, based on what we knew to that point, if we went where we thought they were going to be next, we were wrong every time. But if we said, in spite of what it seems like to me, there's something above me that's showing me where they're going to be, and I'm going to trust that, we ended up in the right place. And that's exactly what happens. Like when our own, our own self-centeredness, our self-definition, our plans for us, even our own approach to religion where it's our effort and our goodness, like, well, this is what I should do and where I should be and where I should go. This is where God wants me. And we, it's, what, it's what Saul did. This is what God wants me to do. And he ends up somewhere that God doesn't want him at all. God's not there. <laughs> and God's saying, will you look to Jesus? Will you look to my son if you will? Fix your eyes on him. You'll always end up where I want you. And it won't be where you expect a whole lot of the time. Let me redirect you. Let me redefine you. Let me change your course. Don't, don't stay on your course and don't follow your thoughts. Stay on his course and follow his spirit. So that was that illustration. This one that stood out to me, because I felt like this was, and this ties in everything we've said, but where Adam started us. A while back, the girls um, had some friends over to the house for a sleepover which we don't do very often, um, uh, but we did. And we got up the next morning, and they wanted to go. There's a creek, like, in the common area of our subdivision. They wanted to go down the creek to play. So we went down there, and when we went down there, one of the storms um, had blown this big tree over that was laying across, like, like, really big tree, like, I can walk on it, size tree. And it was laying across the creek, and it made, like, a perfect bridge. But it was the first time that it had been down. Well, the girls, because their friends were there, they all, they want to try to walk across it. And I'm, like, I lean far in the direction of making the mistake of, yeah, you can do that, <laughs> even if you're going to get hurt, versus the, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I'd rather you try something and get hurt than live in fear your whole life. So I, I, but I make mistakes that way sometimes. But I gave them all the yes. Like, you can, you can try to walk across that. But Sydney is our really, really, really cautious one. And so she was really afraid because the thing was they hadn't worn like clothes to be getting in the creek and all that kind of stuff. We'd just gone down there and what they had on. And so she was really afraid that walking across that tree, she was going to fall into the water. And so instead of walking across it, she sat down on it and just scooted. I mean, it took her like 10 minutes to get across. She scooted all the way across. She didn't fall in the creek, but she ripped a huge hole in the back of her pants. And so... Her fear of falling made it way harder for her to get across and ended up causing other problems. Now, a week later, her, their friends weren't there. We went back down to the creek, and, and she was saying, like, I want to walk across this time. And so I was like, well, just like, put on a bathing suit and some shorts, like some stuff that if you fall in, get wet, it doesn't matter at all. Wear some old shoes. We're not going to worry about it. So she goes down there, and now it's completely okay if she falls in. And she stands up and walks straight across. And I did, I felt God speak to me in that moment, and he was like, it was like he was saying, the fear of failure, the fear of failure will make you fail so much more than failure itself. Like the, the freedom, because what she had, it wasn't a guarantee that she wouldn't fail. She might have fallen off, but she had the freedom to fail now. Like if you fail, it won't ruin everything. Fall in, get your clothes wet, get your shoes dirty, it'll be Okay. And I felt like 
He was just saying, like, look at the book of Acts and all the chaos and all these imperfect people who don't get it right every step of the way. None of their mistakes, none of their failures, none of their inadequacies, none of their insufficiencies, none of their weaknesses stop God's plan. He doesn't guarantee that you won't ever fail. Paul and Barnabas really split ways. Right? There's a division that's not pleasing. There's enough corruption in the early church that Ananias and Sapphira lie about their offering and die on the spot. There's bad things that happen in this book. The people don't get it all right. And Jesus still accomplishes his purposes. And you see, when we live like it all depends on us, and I've got to do everything right, and I've got to get it right, and if I mess up, then this isn't going to work out the way God intended, you will eventually be crippled and paralyzed by such a fear of failure because you can't live up to what you've got to do to make this happen. And, and the risks and the boldness that you would have, the, the things that you would do out of love that don't make sense, the things that people say, that looks crazy, that's not the way that people do it, that's not the best way to do it, don't do that. The things that God's calling you to do that you would avoid because the world and even the church world would say don't do it, all that sort of stuff, you'll avoid it because you're afraid of failure. You're afraid that it won't work out and you don't have the guarantee. But then when you, when you can see God saying, hey, I've got it. And you may fall off. It'll be okay. It will be okay. It won't ruin everything. And you can start to stand in that grace and walk in that grace. Then all of a sudden, the stuff that that you were so afraid I won't be able to do this, there's a freedom that God gives you that you're able to do it precisely because of the freedom that he gave you. He gives you the freedom to fail at this thing And then you don't fail at this thing. That's how his grace works. His grace is always stronger than law. His grace always produces things in you that no law, no religious law ever can. And falling off is still falling off, right? It's just not the end of the world. I had one friend that summarized it this way, and he said, you won't get it all right, but you can't mess it all up. Have the humility where you know, I'm not going to get it all right. And so when that happens, what the, what that, if you really believe this, do you know what the real freedom comes? You can stand up and you can confess. And you can say, I was wrong about this. I messed this up. I got off course here and I admit that to you. Hey, we tried this and it didn't work. We made this decision. It was a bad decision. I took my eyes off Jesus and I I fell into this, and I chose this, and I sinned in this way. This still lives in me, and it's a problem for me. It's a barrier for me. It's a burden for me that you can openly confess, and you can bring it out into the open. And you find power in community and in grace. And you find that that when that stuff's out in the light instead of the darkness, it's not nearly as powerful as you thought it was. God breaks it and robs it. But you can do that because it's okay that you haven't gotten it all right. This thing doesn't depend on you. You're not building this church. And then you realize, I can't mess it all up. You know why you think that you can mess it all up? Because you still think you're the center of the universe. Listen, you're not that important. (laughs) You aren't big enough to mess the whole thing. Go try, don't actually do this, but go try as hard as you can to mess the whole thing up. (laughs) You can't do it. Do you know how many things God is doing all around the world right now that you don't even know about? 
How are you going to mess him up when you don't even know what he's doing? <laughs> you won't get it all right. It's okay. He knows that about you. Be humbled by Be humbled by that. You can't mess it all up. Be bold because of that. One more thing that you want to say before we take the Lord's Supper together. Humanity seems to just pass the blame throughout the book of Acts. <laughs> Eric said, humanity seems to pass the blame throughout the book of Acts. I'm going to do to him what I did to Chris. Humanity seems to pass the blame throughout all of history. <laughs> Genesis 3. What have you done? The woman. What have you done? The snake. <laughs> right? That's, we, we, that's a phrase in our house. Who are you being right now? Adam and Eve. Like, well, she did this. She, I don't want you to tell me what she did. Tell me what you did. And you're right. That, that we will point to everything outside of us as all the problems. And we never... Let's just let's do this. You know our church, like our consumer church culture, where we shop churches? Does this church have exactly what I want? Can I purchase that product? And you know, really, I'd rather, and, you know, and I'm paying for my product now, so I better get what, if I don't get what I want, I'm going to find another product. And, and then I'm going to compare for a while. And then, best of all, now, you know, I can Amazon shopping cart this thing, and I like what they do on Sunday mornings. Put that in the cart. Ooh, I like what they do on Wednesday nights. Put that in the cart. And then I've still got him online, so I can listen to him whenever I want. Put that in the cart. I really like their music. So you know what? I'll go to their Good Friday program. Let's put that in the cart. And that, that whole consumer church shopping thing that we do, as if like, church is about us and our purposes and what we want. So when people make their purchase and they come for a while and the product's not what they want, what do they do? They go buy another product, right? Go to find a different church. And then when that product's not what they want, what do they do? <laughs> Go buy another product. And when that product's not... And you know what's interesting to me? And this, it's been this way for a long, long time now. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Um, I feel like almost none of us ever stop and think, it doesn't matter where I go, I have the same problems. <laughs> it's almost like my problems come with me because I'm the problem. Like, I'm unhappy here, and I go there, and I'm still unhappy. You know why? Because I'm there! <laughs> My heart's the problem. I'm the, like, there needs to be something that changes in me. And listen, God does move his people. Like, I, I don't want you to hear me saying things I'm not saying. God moves. We see all in the book of Acts, God moving his people. There's all the difference in the world in God moving you for gospel purposes. And if God moves you for gospel purposes, please don't like, sneak out the back door. Come tell us what God's calling you to do and let us pray over you and bless you and commission you and send you and support you and you keep telling us what God's doing. And if, if, if every one of you, he calls you to do something not here and not in this building ever again, then let's all go do it. Like it's not about here. right? I mean, like, I, I mean if we can just say that out loud and that can be the environment, if he calls you, we want you to go. 
And it's not because we don't want you here. It's not because we don't love you here. It's because that's the point, that we would follow him. And if we can empower you and enable you to do that and support you to do that, and it means that you start stuff that never happens here again and doesn't bear fruit here, but it does for the kingdom, then please do it. And please do it with our full blessing and support and ongoing partnership. Like we're still united in the body. So that is totally different than like when, you, when God calls you for gospel purposes. Well, if you can answer this question, I will serve the gospel more effectively by being there than be there, please. But if you go for any other answer, <laughs> you're not going to be happy there either. I'm, I'm, I mean, you will be for three months or six months or whatever. Depends on you. <laughs> Probably however long you were happy here, you'll be happy there. <laughs> and it is, though. Like, we think it's always outside of us. It's always something that somebody else, some other circumstance. And that is what the gospel's telling us is we're the problem. Jesus is the answer. And when you were the problem, he still loved you. He didn't love you because you got the answer right. He loved you when he knew you were never going to get the answer right on your own. And that's why we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a minute. I'm going to have Tasha bring in the, the kids. And um, when they come in, if you want to find your kids and let them sit with you. And as they're coming in, I, just, I want us to reflect on that for just a minute. It was uh, Jeremy last week brought up that section in Acts 27. And I feel like it's the perfect lead-in again today into the Lord's Supper where they land on the island of Malta after the shipwreck, and that viper comes out and bites Paul on the hand. And they think he's going to die, and they say, justice isn't going to allow him to live. He must be a murderer. Right, because he survived the shipwreck, but now justice is going to kill him with a snake anyway. And we mentioned last week, there's a lot of things they said right there that were right. Paul was a murderer. <laughs> and he wasn't just like a one-time you know, in the heat of passion, I lost my cool and mur he was a cold, calculated, I traveled, I used the law, I hunted people down, and I voted to have them executed just because they believed in Jesus. That's the kind of murderer he was. They're right, he was a murderer, but far worse, far darker and blacker than what you would imagine. And they're right that justice wouldn't let him live. They're right. But there's no effect from the snake. Because Jesus doesn't give Paul justice. Jesus satisfied justice for Paul. Jesus took the justice that Paul deserved. And he, look, he doesn't let it off the hook. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't make Paul's sin or your sin or my sin any less than it is. He says, here's the scope of it. The Son of God has to die for it. That's how bad it is. Be humbled by that. Be humbled by that. That's what's in your heart. That you are so sinful that the Son of God has to die for your sin. That's justice. And then he says, but that's how far justice can go. Justice has been satisfied. Grace goes further. Grace satisfies justice. And grace looks at a murderer and says, you're not a murderer anymore. Because I took it off of you. He took it off of Paul and put it on himself. And he died for it. And he redefined Paul. He said, murderer? Missionary. 
He called him something new. And he made him that. And so every one of us, you sit here today, and yeah, we're sinners, and no, we can't build this church, and no, we can't make this happen, and no, we can't accomplish these purposes. And then God looks at you and says, you're my people. You're my family. You're my children. You're my church. And he redefines you. He redefines you because of what Jesus has done for you, because Jesus has satisfied every claim that justice could make on you. And Jesus has secured more grace for you than you could ever imagine. And so with the kids coming in, that's why we're going to take the Lord's Supper, because this is all of our hope that Jesus' body was broken for us and justice was satisfied that Jesus' blood was shed for us and our sins were washed away and grace was poured out on us. And then Paul says, when he's given the Corinthians instructions about this, we do this to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because it's not just that he died, it was that he was raised to life. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father until he comes back and he has sent his spirit for that whole time. Like when you take this cup today, realize that the death of Jesus secured this promise of God for us, secured the Spirit coming and making us His church. That He's given us what we need and He's alive and He's coming back. And so let's take the bread right now. If you open it up and take it out. Jesus said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The worship team is going to come up and lead us another song of worship, a response of worship. And some of our staff and pastors, elders, wives are going to be down front if you want to pray with somebody. As we're wrapping up Acts, but just this morning as well, I wanted to offer this quick summary as some practical things that we've talked about as a staff that I feel like when we work through the whole book, And we see Jesus made this promise that he was sending the Spirit. He's going to build his church with the power of the Spirit to make Jesus known. That the the two things that you see the church doing in response are saying, okay, we know we really are dependent on the Spirit that way. And so we're, we're going to live in a way that reflects, we believe what Jesus has said, we believe how much we need his Spirit, and we're going to show that. The two things that we feel like that you see over and over and over through the whole book are the Word and prayer. That, that everything they speak, everything they communicate is grounded in the Bible. And it's just it's the truth that God's revealed. We've got, to, we've got to declare this for us and we've got to declare this for the world. And we're trying to be committed to that in the way we're studying the Bible on Sunday mornings. You know, we've had multiple teachers up here this year saying, hey, it's not a teacher. 
It's the Word that's central. Eric's going to teach again in a few weeks for us. Some of our other teaching teams are going to teach uh, in June and July for us. And so they're going to be cycling back up here. But just even just the approach of saying, this is a tool for you that every day you can pick up and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to read a chapter and ask God, what's this teach me about you? Like, Show me what you want me to see. Uh, that we want that to be central because we believe that's a way that we say we're dependent on you. We're dependent on you to speak to us, you to teach us, you to correct us, you to shape us. You, you give us your thoughts, not ours. Don't, don't let us set our path. You set your path for us. So the word and then prayer. If we need you to do this, we trust you. We confess that we can't and we believe that you can. I mean, you know, we started the year with a prayer service and the, the week that we couldn't meet because of the weather, we replayed it. Um, and we've given you those prayer guides, but we want to do some things moving forward. And, and we're going to continue to do this week in, week out with the Bible. And, and we're, still, we're asking you to get plugged into a community group in the week where you're studying the Bible together and to be doing this individually on your own and with other people that God brings into your life. But also as we're moving forward, we want to think about what are some other ways that we can really emphasize you know, all of us praying and then us praying together just expressing our dependence on the Spirit and asking Him to do the things that only He can do. Um, and, and just what resources can we give you? Not, not that any kind of program or resource is going to produce that in your life spiritually, but just if, if we can help prompt it and encourage you to do that. And there's ways that we can come together and pray. Um, and so we're just going to continue to put an emphasis on that. And, and probably with the prayer, we may have some weeks where we fast. And, and I've thought about this in my head of just what are weeks where we say either, you know, Start at lunch on Saturday if you can, and let's fast to lunch on Sunday. We'll all come in here together, hungry, hopefully hungry for the Spirit, and hungry to man, praying together, fasting together. Maybe you just say, I can't go that long. You eat supper Saturday night, that's fine. Fast breakfast Sunday morning and come in, and I guess we'll have to fast donuts that week. I don't know. I haven't thought through all that yet. Um, but just ways of saying, yeah, I acknowledge my weakness. I acknowledge my need, and God, we're asking you to do something. Because when you say that, it, when Adam says that it looks chaotic, and I know I brought you all up here and I've got you standing here. Sorry about that. Almost done right here. I'm, I'm talking like Darren right now. <laughs> um, when, I, when I say that we're, we're dependent and, and we want to acknowledge how dependent we are and we want to acknowledge our weakness, it's because we believe that God comes and gives what we need when we depend on Him in that way. And we believe that that he pours out his power when we don't have the answers. And so Adam says it's chaotic. And yeah, like right now, we don't have all the answers as a church. You know, all this stuff that, that Keith's having to deal with and the things that we've talked about financially and just figuring all that out. Like, I don't know, but I know that every time in the book of Acts that it gets dark or that it gets stormy or that, that it looks like, hey, there's a whole lot of hindrances, God shows up. And that's really exciting. So I want to ask him to do that. And I want to ask him to do it in ways that surprise us and look crazy to us and aren't what we would expect. And so in, in staff meeting a few weeks ago, we started the phrase, and this was from Acts 16 where they're in prison and it says at midnight, God sends the earthquake. And we're like, you know, like he's not so far, he hadn't shown up early and given us all the answers early. And we just start saying 1159, 1159. Like I, we're going to trust that whatever we need to know at 11.59, he'll tell us at 11.59. Whatever he needs to do at 11.59, he'll do at 11.59. So we're going to pray for that together. And we're going to just plan ways to be praying through that. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And then we're going to sing this song of worship. You want to come pray, kneel on the steps, pray with somebody, do that. But will you pray with me? 
Father, thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you that you poured out your spirit and you built your church exactly the way that you promised. Thank you that you did it because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection. Father, we need you. We need you to move and work in our hearts to make us who you've called us to be, that we will not be that apart from you. But we know that in you, you give us everything that we need. And we need you to move and work in your church to lead us, to show us, to take us, to carry us, to build us into who you want us to be. Father, I pray for a movement of your spirit, a work of your spirit to fulfill your promise and your purpose for your church through us. And so we confess our dependence on you and we ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.